Welcome to More Than a Budget, a podcast presented by Relational Media. Co-founders Jeff Fine Thomas, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and John Mitchell, a certified financial planner, combine the fields of psychology and personal finance to help couples improve their relationships and discover what is more important than money. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm John. And today we have a special guest. Um, today we're going to be talking about estate planning. In fact, we're going to do three episodes on kind of some legal planning. And we've invited Linda King. Um, Linda King is a well-experienced attorney in oil and gas and partnerships, as well as estate planning. Um, and for grins and giggles, she also went and got her um, theology PhD. Where was, where was that from, Linda? TCU. So she is well-versed in many areas. Um, she is also a grandmother of how many? Eleven. So she is thoughtful of family dynamics and family issues. Um, and today we wanted to kind of crack the subject of some basics um, when it comes to things like wills and trusts and all that stuff that nobody wants to talk about, but quite frankly creates all kinds of problems when it's ignored. And we have spent a lot of time talking about things that often people ignore because they are challenging, because they are relational. And as Jeff might tell you, talking about your demise might make you a little uncomfortable. A little denial involved in talking about your demise, I'm sure, for most people. So we're breaking these three episodes um, into categories. And the category we're going to be covering today is just kind of an introduction um, of, of some of these issues for people who are primarily under the age of 40. So us young people, right? Um, and, you know, sometimes we kind of think when we're young that this isn't something that we have to deal with. Um, you know, we don't have our kids yet. Why in the world would we need to see a lawyer or think about some of these issues? Um, but really, they're pretty important for everybody. And so I thought we might start with a little bit of a conversation about ownership because oddly enough, um, in order to have an estate problem, um, you have to own something. So I was wondering, Linda, you know, we, we own lots of things. We start accumulating lots of things typically about the time we um, get married. Some of the things we own are, you know, houses and cars and bank accounts. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what those ownership things are? Um, because in my business as a CFP, Ownership matters. Well, I'd be happy to, but the English teacher in me has to back up just a minute and begin with a vocabulary word. <laughs> and that is soporific, soporific, which means something that'll put you straight to sleep. Okay? <laughs> we and do that so, a lot here. <laughs> well, for many people, the thought of estate planning is a soporific. They just, they think it's a big snore and they... That's one of the reasons they avoid it. And, uh, and yet, estate planning is nearly as old as human history. Uh, as you mentioned, I uh, have a PhD in biblical studies, and so I have to quote a little Bible here. And way back in Genesis, you remember Esau and Jacob both wanted their father's blessing, and one of them got the good stuff, and one of them got the, well, good luck, kiddo. The first fraud of the Bible, maybe? Maybe. And it said, uh, uh, Jacob cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry, have you no blessing for me? And it, it's gone on from there. And then later in Genesis, the 12 sons of Jacob 
got all the land of Canaan divided up among them. And that's the way it used to be. The patriarch, usually, who was the possessor of the property, would gather his uh, children and grandchildren around him, and there would just be witnesses, and he would put his hand on them somewhere and bless them and then give them their inheritance. Well, much of, uh, much of that continued for centuries, but then when writing came along and then later the printing press, um, things started to be written down. Even then, it was still difficult to, not everyone was literate, most people weren't, to write something on a cowhide or on parchment or something. So it still went along with witnesses and that sort of thing. Well, most of our law in the United States comes from the English common law, and it's now codified. That means it's been enacted into statutes, and most of those statutes are state statutes. So if your listeners have been in another state, they might recall laws that are a little bit different from what we're going to talk about today. So we're, gonna, we're primarily out of Oklahoma. Um, we'll be talking primarily about Oklahoma law, um, but I will probably jump in, and Linda can also just kind of say, this is special here, or this is pretty normal as to what you would find in most states. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, while there's much similarity, there are some variations from state to state, but with people being so mobile these days, there's a tendency now to reconcile competing state statutes and and try to make them similar and acceptable interjurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So we're used to buying cars, we're used to buying houses. Um, does it matter how we own them? Oh, yes, it does. And where do you get that advice? Well, if you go out to buy a car, the, uh, the car salesman may or may not um, even listen to you and how to write down title. This recently happened to us. Um, and you can even say, I want it in both our names, and it won't be. Uh, so you have to be very careful when you take the title there. But most often this concerns real estate and bank accounts and other financial documents, assets like that. So let's just talk about real estate to begin with. Okay. For most married couples or where ownership's going to be in two people or more who are going to live on a property, they'll take the title as joint tenancy. And that is really easy. It requires specific language. But what it does is it says upon the death of the first to die, the title will almost automatically go to the survivors. There doesn't have to be a probate uh, like you do with a will. There just has to be an affidavit filed and with the courthouse. And so uh, that's how most young couples and really most everyone uh, typically takes ownership. So there's joint tenancy. And there are, there are a specific few sentences that need to be inserted or included in any conveyance, any deed where you're taking title to real property if that's what you want to happen. There's also tenancy in common. Tenancy in common is often used where there are uh, siblings or more than one individual not related who want to own a particular share 
of a property. Now, in the law, rather than saying the property, the property, the real estate over and over, we call it Blackacre. So for our purposes mm-hmm. today, like you do in law school, we'll just talk about Blackacre. And that means that piece of property off yonder it may have a house on it, may not, whatever. It's just a piece of property. So tenancy in common means one ten, uh, tenant could own... another could own 40%. You can divide it up any way you want, amounting any number that you want. But if they all acquire title at the same time, they are tenants in common, and they can each divest themselves. That means convey away or borrow or, you know, mortgage, sell their particular interest, but not for the whole group. There's also one that we haven't talked about, and that's individual ownership. Yes. And sometimes... Intentionally or unintentionally, when we buy things, when we're married, we run down to go pick up the car and the spouse wasn't available to sign the forms and it doesn't really matter. And the last thing that the F&I guy wants is to stall or cause the sale not to go. So the title gets put into an individual name instead of a joint name. So now we're in a situation where, well, have you ever called the cable company and you say, hey, I want to talk about our bill and they go, yours not the name on the bill and I don't care if you're married, we can't talk to you. Individual ownership is certainly just individual, and it creates some potential challenges. You kind of think that when we're married, everything is ours. Yes, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. Now, if it's a residence of uh, a couple, for example, but the title is in one of the individuals, the other one still, by law, has some homestead rights. But in general, uh, if property, if Blackacre is owned by an individual, then when that person uh, either passes away, if when they die, um, unless they've made other preparations and other planning, there's going to have to be something done through the courts, an administration of an estate or a probate of a estate. And as most people know, uh, Probate is like a four-letter word. They don't want to have to go through probate because in Oklahoma, at least, probate is expensive often, time-consuming often, public often, inefficient. Uh, it's, it's not usually anyone's friend, first choice. And so if you're an individual holding title, you better think it through carefully and discuss it with some uh, professional about So we've just dumped a wave of information and some new words, I think, to probably quite a few people. And if they are still awake, (laughs) um, I want to say a couple of things here that I think are really important. And that is, if, if I were playing a game, whether it be poker or Uno or chess or whatever it is, and I'm playing against somebody for real money, I would really want to know the rules before I played the game. And what I've just heard and what you've all have just heard is there are a lot of important things going on under the surface of some really common decisions that we as couples sometimes oftenly make at such high speed without knowing they're important. And I'm going to bet, since we're talking about money, I would be willing to bet some money that you have spent some time in your career undoing some inadvertent um, decisions that people made under the topic of, it's no problem, I'll just 
dot, dot, dot. It's no problem. I'll just put it under my name. It's no problem. I'll just put my name on my mom's account so that I can help take care of her needs. It's no problem. We'll just do it this way. And there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of implications as to what some of those quick decisions end up causing later. Is that somewhat accurate? Oh, that's more than accurate. That's, that's Well, that is exactly right. And there's all sorts of ways that things can go off the rails. They can yeah. go uh, arrive in. It's a little bit like now with the uh, Internet. You can get a lot of excellent health care information on the Internet, <laughs> and you can get a lot of bogus stuff, and you can get a lot of stuff that's true insofar as it goes, but your health circumstances uh, make it not apply to you or your wishes make it not apply to you. And so how can a layperson just go to the Internet or ask Wikipedia or, you know, one of these um, other apps uh, or websites information and just start taking medicine without, without knowing that uh, it's right for you? Well, we, we wouldn't do that. And the same is true about legal advice. Just today, before this podcast, I just went uh, on the internet and looked at the proliferation of websites that offer to help you just take care of your uh, estate planning, do a simple will, do a simple trust, do a simple this, a simple that. Everything is simple. Mm -hmm. Well, I wouldn't anymore rely on that. It may be good and true so far as it goes, but it may not apply to the individual. And just like it would be irresponsible to take medicine that was just generically put, referenced or boosted out on the Internet, it's, it's just about that risky to do the same so thing with be, forms. It would be fair to say that legal advice is not over the counter. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's it's a good it's a good place to go look over the counter and create your questions to go and take sure. to the professional because then you'll know what issues arise. So one of the things that Jeff and I always talk about is understanding what your core values are as a family. And if you don't know that, it's really hard to do any planning, right? All you can do is just make sure as best you can that the bills that you have acquired get paid by the job that you found. I mean, it's really just a um, hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Um, but especially with estate planning, we're kind of talking about how we are going to pass on, how we are going to be a blessing to our children that, that come after us. What kind of burdens are we going to inadvertently um, create or avoid? You know, And I think, Jeff, these are hard conversations um, also hard conversations for people to have. I mean, I can think about how the fact that if you don't know the rules of a game, it's really hard to talk about strategy for how to win it. But do you think maybe, you know, I'm kind of thinking about how family history and the concept of the taboo topic comes into play when we're talking about both legal things and how we might pass things along or share things in our family. Yeah, the you know, the reason people come to my office isn't because they have some interest in having me talk about their legal situation because they know I'm incompetent at that. They're coming because they're in some pain, and that pain stems often from some 
relationship dilemma that they've been going through. And obviously, when we're talking about um, subjects such as death and what happens to stuff when someone dies, things get very interesting in a family um, dynamic. That's partly because there's great deal of stress when someone in the family dies. And it's partly because there's a history that goes along um, prior to, to this moment where someone has died that impacts the way people think and feel about the moment they're experiencing right now. So lots of things in a family dynamic, um, when, for instance, when our parents pass away, can create lots of hurt among us and our siblings because things weren't kind of proactively addressed. Things that were hidden, things that had been pushed down the road are finally now at a place where they have to be exposed and dealt with under great stress. That's no doubtedly true. You know, it, it, it is absolutely a common experience, I think, for people to come to a moment like this, the death in the family, and there's a lot of unfinished business. And that's unfinished business that has to do with property mm-hmm. or stuff, but it's also unfinished business with respect to the emotional experience of that relationship. And so there's a lot of tension. But this, of course, even if it is planned for, like you have mm-hmm. all of the plans in place and you've thought about it for years and you've had good conversations about it, the truth is grief um, gets into our bones in a way that makes us um, feel things intensely and behave in ways that are unexpected. You know, we think we're going to be able to handle the death of someone important to us, you know, that will cry. And, and then when the time comes, funny things happen that we, we hadn't expected. Maybe sometimes even our behavior gets a little wonky. So, you know, obviously we're all advocating for planning well for these things, but also there's an emotional component here that sometimes you just can't plan for and you need to reach out to your support systems to get help. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a like, comment, or review. And tell your friends. New episodes drop weekly. Learn more about Jeff and John at relational-media.com. 